On this episode, we're joined by speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Alan Stein Jr. Alan has been a performance coach for over a decade, and he spent the initial part of his career working with athletes and training basketball players in both their skills and mental development. Having worked with all-star caliber players like Kevin Durant and Victor Oladipo, Alan has had a unique perspective into the mindset of top athletic performers. Now, he continues to share that perspective with top performers in and out of athletics. As a speaker and author of two books, Alan helps professional raise and sustain their games in whatever sport or profession they are pursuing. We discuss all of this, plus some unique interactions Alan has had with the most famous athletes in the world and what he's learned along the way. I can't wait for you to hear this one. Let's dive in with Alan Stein Jr. Put that content down. Content. The clothes is on. What's your name? Content. That's my name. <laughs> you know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Content is for closers. All right, we're back with an, yet another episode of Content is for Closers. We are recording this intro the day after the NBA Finals have concluded. And it's an appropriate time to do so in light of today's guest. Carlton, you heard my conversation with Alan Stein. What were what were your takeaways from it? The audience is going to find out in a little bit how, how not into sports I am. <laughs> I have a feeling, I, I have a feeling I know the answer to this, but just tell me, uh, tell me what happened last night. Because <laughs> I can't tell you, that's for sure. Yes. Okay, fair enough. So the Warriors played the Celtics yeah. in the finals. And thank God, the Celtics Steph Curry right? and no, no, they did not. Thank goodness. That would not. I would not be. Ha- I wouldn't be here. It would be a tough day for me if they did. So yeah, Steph and and the crew pulled it out over the Celtics. But it was interesting because Alan, you know, so I said this in the intro, but Alan, you know, was a was a trainer, was a skills trainer, and a coach for NBA players for many many years, and had these interact, you know, really unique interactions to Kobe Bryant and. Sort of the theme of this finals was everyone trying to relate their experience or like talk, you know, identify as having been super, super close with Kobe. And it's just this very bizarre sort of it's not virtue. It's like it's like relationship signaling or something like that. So it was this really weird kind of sub sub thing that was going on in, in the background of the actual finals. But Alan knew him coached with him at, at camp. And we talked a little bit about that because of his experience going from basketball coach to what he's doing now, which is, you know, kind of giving motivational speeches, obviously, but also teaching and, and leading when it comes to content marketing and, and growth for companies. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for filling me in. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, now I know what's going on. So, you know, it, it, when it comes to content, I think a lot of people think that they have to have like super deep industry expertise in whatever it is they're talking about. And one of the things that I thought was interesting with what he talked about was he made this pivot in his career. He changed kind of from being in, a, you know, boots on the ground, like in the gym, basically doing, doing the training himself to, I guess what he would call like career speaking or, mm-hmm. you know, taking a totally different position. And So he talked about how he did that. And I thought that was a great lesson for not just people that are changing their career, but think thinking about content as a way of simplifying what you know and connecting what you know to make new content. Uh, So 
you know, he asked us, he, he asked the people that he knew in that space, what are the problems that you deal with? So he started with the problem and then he, he basically takes those problems that he hears and breaks down what he has experience with and what he knows and then kind of lets them overlap. So I thought that was great. And then also just the idea that coaching a lot, in a lot of ways is content. Like when we put out content, we are, are coaching or we are, are helping people understand and helping people learn what it, whatever it is we're, we're publishing content about. So just yeah. some interesting takeaways from that analogy. I'll be honest. This is the thing I struggle with the most as a, as a creative person. Like I, and I've, so I, I've listened to this conversation now back a couple of times. We recorded this a while ago and it's something I just need to continue to improve on because I can create something if I'm given the topic or if I'm given you know, whatever the points that I need to create around. That's why services work so well. But what he did to your point is so impressive. Like he was able to take skills that he had in one area and then just identify the problem, identify the stories that needed to be told over here without necessarily having a ton of like, you know, he wasn't a salesperson for 15 years or something like that, or he wasn't a, a, a leadership coach for 15. I mean, that's what he's doing now. But that's just so impressive to be able to, to be able to speak into that and to be able to offer real value without necessarily just having done it yourself. I think there's like a huge lesson there for for creators that we can learn from in terms of identifying and then telling those stories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of, of strength conditioning, did you ever do a lot of that growing up, like plyometrics or yeah, all that stuff, getting ready for basketball? I When he was talking about that, it made me think of, of some of my eager basketball days when I was growing oh, yeah. up. Yeah, the air alert. Yeah, yeah, all of the, the oh, different yeah. contraptions that they had, the East Bay Magazine looking through that and trying to- Those shoes that had like no heels. Yes, you, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of that worked, but- Where it took me back. Actually, speaking of those shoes, I at one point was too poor to buy those and, and wanted to increase my vertical, you know, to get a, be able to dunk. So I took a old basketball shoes and I cut them in half and I like stacked cardboard in the middle and then like screwed them. I somehow found like a way to screw them to oh, wow. another shoe, like junk basketball shoes. And so they look like Frankenstein shoes, but did, they, did it work? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. So I, I mean, I, I had a better vertical, so. Nice. I never, I dunked a volleyball and that was the, the, yeah, I really dunked a volleyball. I one time did like the, you know one arm and then at the end put up put the other arm on real quick and that was probably the closest basketball dunk but should have got those shoes i i had the but yeah i had the shoes i just i needed yours i needed your version but uh, anyway yeah great conversation with alan and i think everyone will, will learn a lot from it anything to add before we get to it that's good man we'll let him enjoy the episode All right, we are back on Content is for Closers. A very, very special guest here, Alan Stein Jr. Alan, thank you so much for joining the show. Absolutely my pleasure. It's awesome to be with you. This has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I, I think I mentioned even when I reached out, I heard you speak once when I was working at VaynerMedia. And uh, and then I've heard you obviously on, on a number of different shows. Some of some shows, Mickey Cloud, he's been on this show, T Coach Tony Miller, a bunch of different people. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just great to, to get you and to have you on here. So I think we could start a bunch of different places, but basketball is my favorite sport. 
grew up, you know, wanting to be, wanting to be on the floor, had some biological challenges with that, you know, as a pro, but I would just be curious before we get into all the content and everything like that, how did you fall in love with the game? So basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I remember vividly falling in love with the game at five years old when my parents signed me up for my first recreation basketball team. And, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that here 40 plus years later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I'm incredibly thankful and grateful that I've had that red thread throughout every area of my life. I mean, I've, I've been a part of the game from several different vantage points now, the first third of which was as a player and had an opportunity to play all the way up through college. I played at Elon down in North Carolina. And then I spent the next segment of my life, just over 15 years as a basketball performance coach, helping players improve their athleticism and bulletproof their bodies against injury. And now in this next third, where I'm most connected to the game outside of still being a fan is I'm the father of three children that all play youth basketball. So I've seen the game from a lot of different vantage points and a good portion of the work I do now corporate keynote speaking and writing comes through the lens of a, of someone that loves basketball and has learned most of the life lessons, you know, through the game and, and mm. through other players and coaches. And I now translate those to, so folks can apply those same strategies to business and life. So basketball is, has been a dear love of mine for, for four decades now. And I'm so thankful. Awesome. Yeah. So let's get into that evolution. Cause I think it's, it, you see a lot of people who play maybe through college or maybe play a little bit in pros and go into coaching, go into being an analyst or something. And you did some of that, like you just described, but then you, you have this pivot that is different from most people who, who are following that journey and have gone into performance or I don't know what you call it. Do you call it performance speaking or, or coaching? But how did that happen? how did that evolution take place? Sure. Well, if I had to pinpoint the best advice I've ever been given, it was when I was young, someone told me that you need to find what it is that you love and you need to find what it is that you're naturally pretty good at. And then you need to find where those two things intersect. Mm. And, and the intersection between your passion and your talents is going to be your strength zone. And the more time you can invest in your strength zone, not only will you perform at a higher level, but you'll also be more fulfilled in the process. And, and I've always taken that advice to heart. And, and as we've already mentioned, you know, for the first third of my life, that intersection was as a basketball player. I love the game of basketball. I was at least good enough to play in high school and college. So we could say I had some natural talent and that's where they intersected. But I, I knew that I didn't have the talent to play basketball after college. Mm. And, and towards the latter part of high school and throughout my college career, I started to develop an equal love for performance training which at the time was just called strength and conditioning. You know, it's, it's now got a much more comprehensive title when we talk performance, basically training, you know, strength training, conditioning, plyometrics, running, all of that kind of stuff. I was fascinated by that. And, and I took a lot of personal pride as a player in being in the best shape that I was capable of and, and maximizing my somewhat limited genetic potential as well, but getting the most out of myself that I could. So when the writing was on the wall that I was not going to be a professional player, I figured, well, what could be better than combining my original love of basketball with my newfound love of performance training? Hmm. And, and that would still meet the criteria of something I loved and something I was fairly good at. You know, both of my parents were elementary educators. So I've, I've always been, I've had modeled for me the importance of being able to clearly articulate and communicate, of being able to teach and to coach and to pour into others. So I've, I've had some, some you know, I, I had some natural talent in that area as well. So I figured what could be better than combining performance training, basketball, 
And that was what I decided to do. So I made that leap. And one of the cool parts about that intersection in our string zone is it will constantly mature and change as we gain more life experience. You know, as we get older, we will uncover new passions and we will develop new skills and talents. So five years ago, I, I decided to move that point of intersection away from the basketball training space and put it in the, the corporate keynote speaking space and the, the writing space. And mm. to answer your question, I still very much consider myself a performance coach. I just no longer coach basketball players on how to run faster and jump higher. I now coach executives, managers, you know, folks in the business world, entrepreneurs on how they can improve their businesses and, and build, you know, winning teams. So I still consider what I do at my core to be the same. What's really changed is the audience and the nuanced way at which I do that. Yeah. So that's a great, I mean, so we, we just, we've been talking a lot about that intersection of interest and in talent or interest and in skill. And so I, I think it's clear that you, you know, your ability and your interest in those things, but specifically I'd be curious as a, as a creator, as a content creator, how did you, how did you evolve? Cause it's still pretty different what you're doing now and the, the level of success that you have now from being in the gym you know, coaching athletes that way to the boardroom and, and doing similar things. But how did you, you know, tell that story in a way that allowed people to trust you and, and invite you into the boardroom? Well, a couple of things come to mind. I'm so glad you went in this direction. This is, this is going to be really fun to, to talk about. Right in the, at the height of my basketball training career, I was working a camp for the NBA. It was called the NBA Players Association Top 100 Camp, where several current and former NBA players and coaches would bring in the top 100 high school players in the United States for a camp to show them what it would take for them to eventually make it to the NBA, basically teach them what it would take to be a pro. And they brought in a guest speaker and his, his name is Walter Bond. And if you Google him now, he's an incredibly renowned, internationally renowned corporate keynote speaker, but a former basketball player. And he came in and he talked to us, this group, which, you know, you're talking about a group of alpha males, you know, a group of the best hundred high school players and current and former NBA players and coaches. And he talked to us for about 45 minutes. And I just remember being mesmerized by his storytelling ability. You know, he, he got this group. We were laughing. We were crying. We were thinking. I mean, he took us on an emotional journey like nothing I had ever experienced in, in that 45 minutes. And I remember sitting there and vividly thinking, like, I love what I'm doing. I love basketball performance training. I don't want to leave the gym. But man, I want to do that one day. Like, what that guy just did was pretty awesome. And just kind of planted this seed. Well, fast forward 10 years after that, I started to find myself getting burnt out on being a basketball performance coach. You know, I, I found myself less fascinated with improving, you know, strength, conditioning, fitness, explosion, and so forth, and found myself much more fascinated by the tenets of leadership, accountability, communication, you know, collaboration, building culture. So I decided to make that pivot over and, and thought, now's the time for that seed that was planted 10 years prior. It's time to water that bad boy and let it bloom. And, and now's the time to make that change. And, and with that, I very much understood that while at the core, I was going to be doing something similar, that, that the nuance, the difference, what you just brought up so insightfully was definitely different. There, there are massive differences between the way you talk to a team in a locker room and the way you talk to a team in a boardroom. Mm. But because of my reverence for coaching, I made sure that, that I got some coaches to help me with that transition. You know, I, I got a speaking coach. I got a writing coach. You know, I, I'm a big believer in the power of coaching. So I also recognized at that time, I had never had a corporate job in my entire life. 
So here I was about to enter a space that I had never actually been in myself. And, and that was one of my major strengths in the basketball world was I was a performance coach who was a former player. I understood how players talked. I understood how they walked. I understood what was important to them. And I was able to use that to my advantage. Now I was going to be doing the exact opposite. I was going to be entering a space where I had no name recognition, no credibility, and no experience. So I had to start from the ground up. And, and I basically went back to being a rookie, which I loved. I fully embraced. I liked diving into something that was new for me and challenging for me and slowly started to build up and learn the corporate culture and corporate space, mm. you know, learn how I could take the principles and the strategies that I had pulled from basketball and figure out how to translate them and apply them to the corporate world. But I didn't go to it, go into it thinking I already knew everything. You know, I went into it with a massive dose of humility and leaned on a lot of people that were in the corporate space that cared enough about me and were kind enough to share some things with me to, to, to help me you know, really package my message in a way that would be meaningful and memorable to them. So I basically took a couple steps back to relay the foundation of this new career. And I've just been laying bricks ever since trying to build the rest of this house. That's awesome. I, I, I could totally see where the good news is everyone wants to relate to sports or everyone would almost prefer to be, you know, talking about sports than a lot of times than, than whatever it is they're talking about. So I could see how your experience and you, 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 you worked with the highest people, like you just mentioned the NBA camp, et cetera. So I'm sure all of those stories were really, really interesting. You, your, your experience reminds me of my own when Gary V was coming Chattanooga to, um, to open the office, he gave a speech essentially about like how entrepreneurs can come from anywhere or something like this. And I had a similar realization of, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know what, but I want to work. I want to learn how to work like him. And I want to work with this guy. And it's crazy how those moments can extend and, and really change the path for the rest of your, your, your career. I'd be curious, uh, maybe it was the coaching or maybe it's something, a tool or something, but was there anything particularly helpful in helping you refine your gift as a storyteller as you were making that transition? Sure. Before I answer that, let me take one step back and, and paint yeah. a little bit more of a vivid picture in the transition. So the very first thing I did when I decided to make this leap, first of all, I had to come to grips with the fact that I was approaching burnout in something that I had been doing all in for the previous 15 years. And that took some humility and vulnerability just to simply acknowledge that because several people were like, man, you, you've been working so hard to build up your name and your, mm -hmm. your brand in this space. Why would you ever leave this? And, and my answer to that was, it's no longer filling my bucket. And I don't, I don't want to fake it. You know, I have too much reverence and respect for the players I serve, for the coaches I work with, and for the game of basketball at large that I just don't, I just don't feel that's ethical to just mail it in, to, to put on a fake clown mask and just tap dance every day. I knew that, that it was no longer filling my bucket. And I needed to find something that would, you know, reignite my energy. So because of my respect and reverence for players, coaches in the game, it was the only decision in my mind. And then once I decided to make that, that pivot, I reached out to about a dozen friends that were all working in the corporate space and, you know, from a variety of different industries at a variety of different levels, some of them, some pretty high up execs down to, to lower positions on the org chart. And I just started asking them you know, what were the biggest pain points they were experiencing in, in business and in the corporate world? What were their biggest challenges? You know, what were the things that, that if they could wave a magic wand to fix, what would they want to fix? And I started to collect that data. And then I would cross-reference that 
with the areas that I believed I had something worthy to share, you know, and these are, are very vague terms, but leadership, you know, communication, culture. And I started to see that there was a massive amount of overlap. And I got incredibly optimistic that the things that I believe that I could share of value were in perfect alignment with what a lot of these folks needed. So I knew there was a need. It wasn't like I just took a, a running jump off of the, the roof of the house and didn't look to see if there was any water in the pool. You know, I, I made sure there was water in the pool first. And then once I did that, then I reached out to those 12 folks again and said, you know, this is something I'm going to start pursuing. I understand the power of repetition. I need to start honing my content, my delivery, and my message. Can I come speak to your team for free? You know, I don't need anything. The only thing I need is your permission to allow me to film myself so I can go back and watch it and get better at my craft. And yeah. most of them gave me an opportunity to which I'll be forever indebted and appreciative. So I, I got the chance to start getting some reps. And once I started doing that, and, and this was all for free, by the way, once I started doing that, then I hired a speaking coach to help me break down the film and to improve the organization of my content, to improve my delivery, and certainly to improve my ability to tell stories. And, you know, then I just started kind of building it from there and, and slowly got to a point where I felt that what I had was worthy of charging a fee, which was just a few months in. And I started at a pretty low fee point and you know, once I felt like I was over delivering the value versus what I was charging, then I would slowly increase my fees. And uh, that was kind of how I built it brick by brick. But to answer your question more pointedly, repetition, you know, the more I would be on stage telling stories, the more I could get a feel for what was working and what wasn't, you know, it was kind of a dance with the audience. And then I certainly hired a coach who could tell me, you know, Hey, here's kind of the structure of the most meaningful and sticky stories. Here's ways you can change the way you've been currently telling it to hopefully make it more impactful and, and just work from there. So yeah, it's, and it's been a fun journey and I'm not anywhere close to being done on that journey. I, I still film my talks and break them down and watch them. I still get competent coaching to help me with things. And I don't, I don't plan for that to stop. Wow. I, that's, I did, that's takes so much self-awareness and humility to, to, to go from something that you're great at and realize, like you said, it's not filling up your bucket. You can't give it back everything that you wanted to, to give to it. And I would imagine fear, there had to be some fear there to leave what you knew for, for kind of the unknown. That's awesome that you were able to do that. And I love the analogy of reps. I mean, or, or the, not even the analogy, the reality of you taking it and, and doing it just like you would a game film or, or whatever else. So that sort of brings us to today. And I see behind you, you've got your, your book, raise your, is it raise your game? Yep. Raise your game. Yep. So maybe just tell us like, what are you doing today? And, and kind of, you know, how has this all congealed in, in the offering that you've put together? Well, I still consider my primary part of my business is keynote speaking and, and the vast majority of my focus goes into being on stage and delivering, you know, impactful and meaningful and captivating performances that they give folks actionable strategies to put into place. You know, I, I don't consider myself a quote unquote motivational speaker. Certainly I'd like to believe there is an inspiring and motivational component to what it is that I'm delivering only because I'm sharing stuff that I'm passionate about, but I understand how quickly motivation fades and wears off. I, I want to be a, a practitioner and a tactician and want to be able to give people tangible things that they can follow and implement because ultimately I'm in the business of helping people change behavior, change their habits, change their mindset, the way that they view things. And I realized that no matter how good I get at my craft, I'm not changing anybody's life in a 60 minute keynote. At best, 
I can plant some seeds the same way Walter Bond planted a seed with me 15 years ago. I can plant some seeds, but ultimately I want to arm folks with tools that they can use and then take the baton moving forward. And, and then if they can do that and I or someone else can help hold them accountable to that behavior change or mind, mind shift, then they'll start to see an improvement in their life. So to me, that's, that's the most important. And I've also found that I enjoy writing. I just put out my second book. So my first book, Raise Your Game, came out in early 2019. And the follow-up to that, Sustain Your Game, just came out a couple of weeks ago at the time of this recording. And I've actually enjoyed that process as well. I like the process of writing because it helps me get clarity on my message and on my content. It helps me get organized in what it is that I'm trying to share. And it's also just another tool that can be used to help others. I mean, you know, the vast majority of the world is never going to see me speak, but hopefully more of them can have an opportunity to access one of my books or take some of those teachings. And it's also a reinforcement tool. So if you found the stuff that I shared from stage to be helpful, then you might want the book to help reinforce that and increase the chance that you're going to start implementing it. So most of what I do at present is speaking and writing, and then certainly putting out content on social to supplement all of that sure. uh, as just another medium to try and, and share the message. And I'm incredibly grateful for what it is that I get to do for a living and, and, and really, really love it. Very cool. We'll obviously link both of your books down in the show notes below. Just out of curiosity, has anything been particularly, you know, have you found any social activation or any content particularly helpful in getting your books out? No, most of it has just been kind of a, a, a grassroots, you know, back of the trunk coach. And, and that part I'm, I'm okay with, you know, there's, there's really two portions of, of the book writing process. The first, the most obvious is just writing the best book that you're capable of, you know, doing the research and, and putting pen to paper and doing the best that you can to put something meaningful together. And that takes you all the way up until launch, which is kind of like the birth of a child, as any parent will tell you. And I am one, you know, the day those little rascals are born, that's when your real work starts. Yep. And, and that's very easy for me to say as a man, because I've never had to actually give birth, but yeah, <laughs> now it's, now it's actually time to raise that child. And it's the same thing with the book, you know? It took about 18 months from conception to launch. And then the day the book comes out, well, that's when my real work starts, mm. which is to try to get the book in the hands of as many people as possible. And, and, and I don't want to do that in a, a pushy or a salesy way. I believe in the message of the book and I believe that it will help people. And I'm always trying to find the audience that will be most aligned with it and just simply make it available and share it. And, and I've found you know, podcasts, the, the major social platforms, blogging, there's a variety of different things. And I, I try to use a little bit of all of that to, to put that out, you know, put that out in the world. And, you know, I, I'm certainly a, a huge fan and practitioner of, of Gary V's approach and, and the way that he disseminates content on social media, you know, the way that he, he, he has most things, you know, videoed, and then he can transcribe that and break that down into articles. And, mm -hmm. and I understand he has earned the right to have a massive team to help him with that. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. My team is much smaller than Gary's, <laughs> but I do follow that, that formula. And, and I think one of the most important parts is something I learned from a mentor of mine many years ago, and that is success leaves clues and you're a fool if you don't follow them, you know? So I don't have any aspirations to be Gary V or do many of the things that he's doing but he has laid down a, a framework and a template on how you can magnify your message and bring your stuff to light 
And, and I've certainly followed that because he's, he's an absolute genius when it comes to that. And I find that following his stuff has been incredibly helpful and, and really, I enjoy him and I enjoy the content he puts out. So I'm heavily biased, but yeah, I mean, he's someone that knows more about how to put stuff out on social than, than I do. So I'm going to follow the footprints that he leaves. Oh, hundred percent. We, I say it all the time. Our business wouldn't exist without him. We follow his framework hundred percent and apply it to, to the people that we work with. Have you played basketball with him yet? No, I have not. So the, the okay. cool thing is I, I had a chance to have him on. I had a previous podcast at the time. It was called the Pure Sweat Basketball Show. Yep. And he was gracious enough to let me come up to his office in New York and have 30 minutes of his, his, his un, you know, uh, uninterrupted time and was on my show. And we were supposed to play basketball this morning, but he had something, a family obligation pop up last morning, minute. So I didn't get a chance to actually play with him. Gotcha. Uh, but certainly enjoyed the time that we spent together. And I heard he is a relentless competitor on the court, uh, yes. even if he's not the most exceptional basketball player of all time. Yes. And he's very fun to play with, especially. He's he's What's that? I bet he's a great teammate. Yeah. Like we've played on in games that we had no business being in based on the talent. And he's just fun because he, he, you know, he's got that relentless will. So it's, it's always fun to play with somebody like that. You so, know, Oh, I was just going to say, what I find very interesting is another mantra that I do my best to live by, and I think Gary epitomizes this to the highest level, is that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle, that, that we should all be in the business of lighting other people's candles. And, and you know, a, a big pillar of the work that I do is, is about self-awareness. And a big pillar of everything that I've learned about self-awareness has been through Gary. And mm. you know, I, I try and be a steward of the message. And, and take things that I learned, whether it's from him uh, or Adam Grant or Simon Sinek or, 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 or any of the other folks that, that put out massive amounts of, of very innovative and original content, I'm constantly soaking that stuff up and then trying to find a way to make sure that it's authentic to me and my message and then simply pay that message forward. And, and nothing makes me feel better than when somebody reads, watch, or listens to something that I've put out in the world. And they believe it's worthy of paying that forward to someone else too. I mean, I, I love that. And, you know, so I, I just think the more we can all kind of unite together to continue to put out good stuff into the world that is going to help people, the better off we'll be. Yeah. And your, your evangelism for, for lack of a better word is going to be contextualized to your experiences. And so it's going to be different than the way that someone who doesn't have your experiences would, would share that message or distributed. And so it's going to reach a whole different set of people. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing that way. I have two last questions for you. The first is just around what content has you excited. And then I have to ask you about a basketball story that I've, I've heard you share before, but I just would be curious, what has you most excited right now? And it could be Vic, your book that, that you just released, or it could be a keynote you have coming out, a series you're starting. Just what, what are you excited about? Well, I'm definitely excited about the launch of the book, which came was a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer that the quality of your inputs determines the quality of your output. And, and anytime that I want to raise my game, pun very well intended, in any area of my life, the very first thing I do is I go back to what am I reading, watching, and listening to? And what do I need to level up on the input side to get me to, to level up my mindset, my perspective, my philosophy? So I'm constantly on the search for, for new things that, 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 that I can feed my, my brain with. And, uh, you know, I, I don't read physical books as often as I used to, but I devour podcasts. You know, I, I listen, I only listen to podcasts when I'm in the car and, and I do a lot of long distance running. So I'm listening easily 
I don't know, eight to 10 hours per week of podcasts and wow. I'm devouring that. And, and I listen to people like Gary that I'm already familiar with just because I want to hear what they've got going on. But I also use that as a time to explore people that I've never heard of before and, and might even be people that I know have a point of view that contradicts my own life perspective because I don't want to just insulate myself with, with people that agree with me and with mindsets that I already have. I want things that push back on that, that challenge my, my point of view, things that get me to stretch. And the, the beautiful part of that is two things, one of two things are going to result. I'm going to either have a stronger conviction for what I believe in, or I'm actually going to learn and grow and change something and adopt the new philosophy and integrate that into my life. So I am always devouring podcasts. So that's what I'm excited as far as kind of the input side. And then yes, the output side. Very proud of the new book. Looking, you know, looking forward to several more months of of getting that in his hands of as many people as I can. And I'm also equally excited to get back on physical stages at in person events, having been sidelined for almost 18 months doing mostly yeah. virtual. Boy, it feels great to be in a room full of people again. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm really grateful that I had an opportunity to get so many reps in the virtual world and still work on the speaking craft and 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 do that during that interim. Because when I started stepping on stage again, I felt like I had never left. Like it felt comfortable. It, it wasn't rusty. I didn't have to relearn how to ride the bike. I just started pedaling and, and away I went. Yeah, for sure. My, my last question for you, I heard in, I think it was in one of your reels maybe. And I just have to ask you, cause I love, you know, we just saw the, the anniversary of Kobe passing just a couple of days ago and uh, saw the video you were talking about your experience working at his camp and just, it was a little anecdote that spoke to the legend, the myth of his work ethic. And I just wondered if you share it as we, as we wrap up here. Well, sure. Well, I probably won't do the story as much justice. So here's what I'll do. I'll give you the, the cliff notes version and the major lesson, but then I would Great. encourage folks to go over to my YouTube channel or website and check it out. But, but back in 2007, I had a chance to work the first ever Kobe Bryant skills Academy. And I got a chance to watch Kobe do one of his private workouts really early one morning. And I remember as a young coach being really surprised that he was doing really basic drills. I mean, mm. the first 20 minutes, he didn't even have a ball in his hand. He was just doing different footwork patterns and pivoting drills. And I just remember being so surprised at the simplicity of what he was doing. You know, I expected at that time he was the best player on the planet. I was expecting there to be a little bit more sizzle with the state. You know, he'd be doing some flashy, sexy drills and he didn't. And that, that surprised me. So mm. later that day at camp, I asked him and literally said verbatim, Kobe, you're the best player in the world. Why were you doing such basic drills? And he gave me that million dollar smile and a very friendly wink. But he said with a very serious tone, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Mm. Because I never get bored with the basics. And, you know, I've told that story thousands of times and it still makes the hairs on my neck stand up because it was, it was such an impactful moment. You know, it, it might not be for your listeners. That might be something they, you know, considered obvious. But for me, it's when I realized that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Mm. Those two words are, are often used interchangeably, but they're not synonyms. They don't mean the same thing. Just because something's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. And if it was easy, everyone else would be doing it. And you know that we live in a world that often unconsciously tells us it's okay to skip steps, tells us we should always be looking for a shortcut or a hack or an easier way, and tells us we should constantly be chasing what's new and what's flashy and what's shiny and what's sexy. 
and a major pillar of my work is getting folks to understand that doing those things is a huge mistake. And that's because the basics work. They always have and they always will. And that, that's across all industries. That's personally and professionally. That's individually and organizationally. The basics work. And, you know, really at the heart of my work is getting folks to crystallize, have great clarity on what the basics are that they need to focus on. You know, what are the fundamentals that you need to work towards mastery of during the unseen hours to get really, really, really good at whatever domain you're trying to improve? And it doesn't matter if you're trying to improve as a podcast host, improve as a spouse or a parent, or improve as the CEO of a massive organization. What are the fundamental building blocks that will allow you to, to achieve excellence in that area? And then make sure you're working on those things every single day. And I know I take that to heart as a speaker, as an author, and as a father. Well, Alan, thank you so much. That's so great. I think that's a great point to, to, to wrap it. We really appreciate you coming on. And I, I know you said before, I don't know if the listeners, like I'm jacked up just, just sitting here listening. I need to go run or something outside just to, to let off some of this energy. would love to see you in person sometime and see one of your, your speaking uh, engagements. But for those who are interested in the book, interested in just keeping up with what you're doing, what's the best place for them to, to check out, check you out? Well, the main hub is allensteinjr.com. I have an auxiliary site, strongerteam.com, which has a bunch of other offerings. I'm very easily found on social at Jr. And if anyone's interested in either book, just search Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game on Amazon or Audible or wherever you get your books and audio books. Always love keeping the conversation going. So if someone wants, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm really good about getting back to folks. And uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun, man. I, I appreciate you making my job easy and would love to have an opportunity to be on stage one day and, and for you and I to connect. That'd be great. Well, we'll hopefully we'll connect with you soon. Thanks, Alan. You're welcome. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content is for Closers. We hope you find this show really helpful as you grow your business with content. Maybe you know of other people who would find this show helpful as well. How about you send them our way? If you didn't like this show and you want to tell us that, then you can head over to contentisforclosers.com where you can send us a message, give us some feedback, ask questions, or find detailed notes for every episode. Until next time, keep creating and keep closing. Keep closing.